righteousness and merits of Jesus Christ, we can come boldly before your throne. We can lay our hand upon the throne and we can ask of you for the mercy and grace, the blessings that we need. Father, we have one great need tonight before we even begin in prayer, and that is to reorient our hearts and minds back towards you. Father, we would be blind apart from your spirit illuminating to us your truth, and so Father, we pray that you would do just that this evening. We pray that you would change us, make us, and mold us more into the image of Jesus Christ as we learn from him tonight what it means to be a people of prayer. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so just to remind you, we're in the middle of a study that is called Principles on Prayer from the Life of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. There are six sections to this study, and tonight we are in section four, which is Principles on Prayer from the Mentoring of Jesus. Much of what Jesus teaches on prayer comes from his time when he would personally mentor his 12 disciples. And the first thing we study and we see from the Gospel of Luke is that Jesus taught his disciples about prayer, uh, about the priority of prayer, uh, as one of the first topics that he taught them. Just like Paul said over, over in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, that we ought to first of all pray. Prayer ought to be a priority if we are to first endure trials properly as we ought. That's what we saw in Luke chapter 8. And prayer ought to be a priority if we're going to second expand our evangelism effectively, as we ought to as Christ's followers as well. Prayer ought to be our first reaction and not our last resort. This is especially true when it comes to the issue of evangelism and telling others about Jesus Christ because God is not only sovereign in sending out believers and ministers of the gospel, which is what we saw last week, but he is also sovereign in causing people to understand and respond to the gospel. Uh, He is sovereign, you could say, not only in the sending, but also in the seeing of evangelism. And that's what we're going to see tonight from Luke chapter 10, starting at verses 21 through 24. It'd be helpful if I got there too. So Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 21. Uh, and just by the way, to help orient you to this passage here in Luke 10, 21 through 24, the 72 disciples that we saw last week go out, uh, that, that went out, they come back from their mission strip. And having Uh, gone out with extreme obedience, they come back with extreme joy. We see earlier in Luke chapter 10, Jesus joins them in their joy, and he amplifies it in verse 20, just before this passage, by saying there's a lot of reasons why you ought to rejoice, but the most wonderful reason is this, rejoice, Jesus says at the end of verse 20, that your names are written in heaven. God knows you and you know God, and therefore that is a reason to rejoice at all times, no matter what's going on in your life. If God knows you and you know God, that is a reason to rejoice. But you might ask, well, why? Why is the response joy and worship? Jesus is going to show us here, because the only way that anyone ever comes to know God is by, as we'll see tonight, the will of the Father, the will of the Son, and the will of the Holy Spirit. Your salvation is a gracious miracle of love that required divine coordination. This is the reason why you ought to rejoice, because only God can cause spiritually blind eyes to see. This is why prayer must be a priority in expanding evangelism, because people can only come to know God first 
by the will of the Father. That's in verse 21. It says, In that same hour he rejoiced, he, that is Jesus, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Jesus says here, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. That phrase reminds us that while we can call God Father because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross, he is nevertheless the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. And as such, as sovereign Lord, he has the prerogative to hide things from some and to reveal them to others. He is the sovereign Lord. But what are these things that he hides? What are these things that by God's sovereign will are hidden from the wise and understanding and yet are revealed to little children? The very next verse, verse 22, tells us it's the saving truths concerning who God the Father is and who God the Son is. It's this saving knowledge which Jesus says God hides from some people and he reveals to others. So who does God hide these truths from, these saving truths from? He hides them from those who Jesus says are wise and understanding, right? These are those people who already think they already know everything there is to know about God. Have you ever tried to witness to someone like that? They will not accept the gospel. You share with them the gospel and their response will be, well, I think God's like this, right? Well, I've always pictured him to be like that. When they already think they know it all, they are not going to listen to a presentation of the gospel. And these are the people that God hides himself from. Those who, in their arrogance, do not listen to his word because they think they already know it all. But God reveals himself, as it says here, to little children. That is, to those who are weak, to those who know they have much to learn and need to be greatly taught, to those who acknowledge, I do not know God as he truly is and I really need to. These are the people that God reveals himself to. And so if you're sitting here tonight with your name written down in heaven, with a reason to rejoice, having trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you ought to do what Jesus does here and praise God. Because your salvation was never a given. It is a gift, a blessing that God sovereignly decided to give you. And so to help you do that, I want to ask you a few questions tonight. Why do you sit here tonight with an understanding of who God is, his character, his actions, and worth, while other people in this same town are continuing on their way this evening in absolute ignorance? Why is that? Is it because you deserved to know who God was? Jesus says here you're a little child, someone with no wisdom or understanding, right? You did not deserve to know this. None of us deserve to know who God is. So deservedness is not the difference between you and someone who's not saved. Is it because you desired to know who God was? Is that why you're here? No, because scripture says no one seeks after God. That's perhaps no more evident than in today's culture if you think about it. With just a couple of taps of the finger, right, you can have access to information no matter where you are in the globe about anything, right? I mean, and most of the people on planet Earth have at least heard of this man named Jesus and understand that for many people, that understand that many people make him out to be a rather important fellow if you want to know something about God and salvation and eternal life. So obviously there's more that you need to know in order to be saved, but they at least know that, a lot of people on planet Earth. The question is, though, even having that small knowledge that Jesus seems to be an important person if I didn't know who God is, is the world seeking that knowledge out? 
No, in fact, if you look at internet searches, they're searching for cat videos or worse things. No one seeks after God. Not even you did. Think about your own salvation testimony this evening. Is it really a testimony of how you sought after God? Or is it a testimony of how God sought after you? I don't know about you, but the message of salvation came to me right after I had been calling my sister a bad name. I was living in my sin totally fine with it. I wasn't looking for any saving message when it came to me through the lips of my mother. I was just continuing on in my old, sinful, miserable way when suddenly it sprang upon me. From a saved mother I never asked to be born from. Under saved parents I never asked to be raised by. Growing up in an environment of grace I never asked to enter into. And yet all of those influences were thrust on me. Why? Because far before I ever sought after God, God was already seeking after me. In fact, he had been doing it from before the ages began. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So why do you sit here this evening with a saving knowledge of who God is in Jesus Christ while others do not? It's not because of your desires. Or your deservedness is because of his own gracious and sovereign will. Amen? Let Jesus' words speak for themselves. You have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Why? On what basis? End of verse 21. Because of God's gracious choice. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. In his sovereignty, the Lord of heaven and earth chose to save me by his grace. That's why I'm saved tonight. My faith is not the reason for why he chose me. My faith is the evidence that he has chosen me. The reason why God chose us is his grace, his unmerited favor. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. He authored our faith, as Hebrews 12, verse 2 says. James 1, 18 says, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. And Jesus teaches in John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So there's no reason why you're saved and trusting in Jesus Christ this evening other than that God wanted to save you and so in his grace he drew you to a saving knowledge of himself through faith in Jesus Christ. For such was his gracious will. That is the only difference between you And the most pagan unbeliever on the face of this globe. God's unmerited, sovereign grace that he chose to apply to your life. Completely undeserved, the truths of the gospel would be hidden from us, as all of us who are wise in our own eyes. And yet, by his gracious will, God breaks sinners' hearts and he reveals to them the glory of Jesus Christ. Uh, praise God that you should be so blessed tonight. You have a reason to rejoice. I don't even know what's going on. I don't know everything that's going on in your life, but I can tell you that you have a reason to have joy. You have a reason to have joy. As the old hymn says, Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. It wasn't a given. That's a gift. So prayer must be a priority in evangelism. Why? Because sinners can only savingly know God by the will of the Father. And second, we're going to see that sinners can only savingly know God by the will of the Son. 
Look at verse 22. He says, All things have been handed over to me by the Father, and no one, who, uh, no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So Jesus says here, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. Right? The Father, the Lord of heaven and earth, has the authority to reveal himself to anyone he graciously chooses. This verse says that God the Father has given that sovereign authority over to his Son. So here we see the divinity of Jesus Christ very clearly displayed, right? In the fact that the Father's total authority and ability to reveal himself is bound up in the person of Christ. The Father's authority is found where, according to this verse? It's found in Jesus, right? The Father's revelation of himself is found where? It's found in Jesus. Why? Because as Jesus taught in John 10.30, I and the Father am what? One. To such a degree that verse 22 here says, No one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So again, Jesus declares the truth in this prayer that no one can come to savingly know God unless it is revealed to Him. John 3.27 says, No one can receive even one thing unless it has been given to Him from heaven. So no one can know who the Son is unless the Father chooses to reveal Him. And no one can know who the Father is unless the Son chooses to reveal him. That's why it's important, believers, that Jesus and only Jesus be our message. For when we speak the words of Christ, Christ is speaking through us and is revealing the saving knowledge of God to those who hear. Back in verse 16, it's very interesting, back in verse 16 of this same chapter, I want you to look at it, Jesus says... The one who hears you hears me. This is powerful. Think about it, okay? When we share the gospel, we are the very expression of the Son's sovereign and gracious desire to reveal himself and his Father. This is like what Romans 10 verse 14 says, For how can they call on him in whom they have not believed? How can they believe in him whom they have never heard? And how can they hear without someone going and preaching to them? And so Jesus rejoices that the Father graciously reveals himself to whomever he wills. How does he do that? Through the will of his Son as sovereignly expressed through the actions of his people. That is powerful when you think about it. You know, some Christians get hung up on this in evangelism, right? Well, this person that I'm witnessing to, has, or, or this person that has been on my mind that I'm praying for, uh, has God chosen to reveal himself to them? Are they the elect? Are they not the elect? Well, here's some practical advice. If you and no one else ever shares the gospel with them, they certainly aren't. So get out there and share the good news of the gospel For your actions are the very expression of the Father's sovereign will and the Son's saving desire. For the one who hears you, Jesus says, hears me. Do you believe that God is sovereign over all the affairs of life? Then that won't make you sit back in evangelism. That'll make you stand up in it. Because your actions in evangelism are the very expression of the Father's sovereign will and the Son's saving desire to call people to himself. God is sovereign in the area of evangelism. That is literally why I am speaking to you. Because God is sovereign even over me. 
Because he is sovereign and my witnessing is merely an expression of his saving sovereignty. So praise God this morning that you know the Father, you know the Son, you have eternal life. That wasn't a given. That was a gift. It was a gift given by the will of the Father and the will of the Son as expressed through the lips of someone who cared enough to give you that message. So isn't that wonderful when you think about it? The will of the Father, the will of the Son, and the will of the Spirit, as we'll see in a second, and our will, all working perfectly in concert together. This is why prayer must be a priority in expanding evangelism, because sinners can only savingly know God by the will of the Father, by the will of the Son, and finally and very quickly, we should rejoice this morning this evening because we know God by the will of the Spirit. That's in verses 23 through 24. Then turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. In other words, Jesus turns to his disciples, and he says, you know, there's a lot of people who would have loved to have been here. There's a lot of people who would have loved to have seen what you see and to hear what you hear. You are immensely blessed to have God reveal himself to you like this with me, from me. And guess what, Jesus says, I'm going to pass on that blessing. Unlike the prophets and the kings of the past, there are coming a people, Jesus says here in the future, who will be blessed with seeing what you now see and hearing what you now hear and knowing what you now know. Who are they? They're us. Right? By the will of the Spirit, the truths that thrilled the disciples' souls are not lost. Even now, the Spirit illuminates for us His inspired Word, revealing the saving truths of who the Father is by His Son, Jesus Christ. These things God has revealed to us by the Spirit. And so if you're sitting here tonight having trusted in Jesus Christ, I want you to remember, how was Christ revealed to you? It was by the Spirit's inspired Word. So this evening, you ought to rejoice because you know God. You are saved by the will of the Spirit. That was never a given. That was a gift. It was a blessing. Blessed, Jesus says, are the eyes that see what you see. So that's the first thing I want you to think about tonight. Believer, do you realize how blessed you are? What great reason you have to rejoice You know God, you have eternal life solely by the will of the Father, by the will of the Son, and by the will of the Holy Spirit. Only God can cause blind eyes to see. That is why prayer must be a priority in our desire to expand evangelism, because God alone is sovereign in the sending of evangelism, And God alone is sovereign in the seeing of evangelism. So if we seek for God to be glorified in this place, if we seek for his people to go forth, and if we seek for God's word to be powerful and effective in its giving, then we must do what we are about to do now. We must pray to the Lord of the harvest. We must pray that he would send out laborers and that he would bring in souls for the sake of his great name. So this is why prayer must be a priority. Only God can open blind eyes. And so I want you to encourage you to keep that in your prayers this evening as a church as we come before the Lord tonight. Uh, I'm going to go through some of the prayer requests that we have here, but keep in your mind how to pray.
for God to expand evangelism here in this place, in this body.